So this afternoon, reflecting on this human experience that we're all having, and again, I want to remind you, reflecting is just being the witness, the observer, rather than taking everything personally. So the subject of death is quite an important reflection because these forms sitting here in this temple at this time will eventually die. And we've all had experienced loss of parents, loved ones, friends, pets, who we've loved and have passed away, they've died. And just the word death can be rather ominous word and polite society. It's not a subject generally discussed or mentioned because it means the end of what we tend to be very strongly identified with. And that leaves us what happens when we die, when someone else dies, what happens to them and there's various scenarios about souls going to various stages of heaven, hell, or just a, being non-existent, uh, completely disappearing. But at this moment, death for all of us in terms of the body is this is the experience of life or being. And it's like this. So death is something that we truly realize, all of us, that we are going to die. But that's in the future. So the future for this moment for all of us is death is, will happen sometime in the future. And then um, the here and now is like this. This is the experience of being conscious. And so consciousness doesn't die. You know, this is a big question. Uh, the many arguments about uh, the deathless, the immortality, what doesn't die, or is dying death the final end of every, absolute everything? <clears throat> and uh, 
the the reality of here here and now for all of us we don't know. So we're experiencing this not knowing is like this. None of us know what will happen when we die. We can have various beliefs, but beliefs are words, concepts that arise and cease in the present moment. So be at ease with just the, the uh, ultimate reality of not knowing this moment in regards to one's physical death, not knowing what it's like or what happens. Then what doesn't die? And so then is consciousness die? And in the teaching of the five khandhas, Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, the senses that we experience consciousness through the senses, they, they die, definitely. So when, you know, they can die before the body dies. The eyes, we go blind, deaf, lose our sense of smell, taste, touch. So sensory consciousness is related like the vinyana taught there in uh, terms of the five khandhas related to the body, to the, the rupa, the, the gaya, the, the physical form, which has these uh, sense, sense organs that we experience consciousness to. So, Consciousness to most people is what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel through the body, through the senses. And that is the real world for most human beings, is the world that they experience through their physical bodies, through their senses. But then in my introductory quote, the gate to the deathless is open. And so this word deathless is very prominent in um, the suttas, the scriptures of Buddhism. So then we try to imagine, well, what is the deathless? If the gate to the deathless is open, what does that mean? And uh, what is the deathless? How can we escape death through realizing the deathless? So we see it in, in these ways of thinking, logic and reason, <clears throat> according to the way we've been conditioned and educated. And uh, we try to figure out what the deathless is. But words cannot lead you to that. The best, they can, the best they can do is use the word death and less, the, what doesn't die. And then in the Dhammapada, the, one of my favorite verses is Apamado Amatabhadang, mindfulness 
is the way to to the deathless. Pamado matunopadang, and heedlessness is the way to death. So Lungpacha used to emphasize that we're dying all the time because the conditions of thought are very brief. You know, they, the thinking words that we think, the concepts that we cling to, uh, the perceptions we have through the senses are very transitory. They're changing all the time. So when we try to think of, I'm, I am I, going to die, then that is a conventional way of thinking about the physical body, about oneself. And then uh, we, we tend to take that very personally because that's what we really identify with is the physical bodies. So then you must, I encourage you to ask yourselves, am I really this body? Is this body, is this what I really am, this physical form? This male body, am I really a male body or a female body? Are these my true nature? How can these realize the deathless? How can a feminine body not die, or a male body not die? And so these are like investigatory questions to reflect upon what doesn't die in terms of the reality of here and now. And then we get to the quote, apparent here and now, Santitiko Dhamma. Apparent here and now is conscious awareness. So mindfulness is the way to the deathless. Heedlessness is the way to death. My, so, Heedlessness means being caught in the ignorance of identity with the physical body and your thoughts and memories with what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what you believe, what you cling to, what you've been conditioned to believe or cling to. Cultural identities, racial identities, gender identities, all these are identities that we can, we, can, we can totally believe in because the societies we live in tend to reinforce these, these kind of illusions. So, Appamada Vamatabhadang, the mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the way to death. Mindfulness is never, conscious awareness is never dying. And heedlessness is dying all the time. So this is a, 
this is not a doctrine. I'm not trying to get, ask you to believe this, but to as a, a reminder to reflect. Am I really this limited form? Is this my true nature? And this is important to ask yourself to investigate because ultimately we're not these forms. These forms were born, they grow up, they get old, and then they die. That's the nature of phenomena. So all phenomena has the same nature, like a thought is a phenomenon. So it has a beginning and end. How long can you hold to one thought? You know, it's, they pass very quickly. And thinking then leaves kind of emotional uh, feelings arise through what you think or what you hear. So somebody says, you're a very wonderful person and you, you, this, you hear these words, they, they come and go very quickly, but then they, what's left is an emotion of feeling happy and, and honored and good about being praised and admired. And the next moment somebody will come along and say, you're absolutely hopeless stupid person, can't stand you. And then you know, these are words that come and go very quickly, but then they affect you personally and, <clears throat> and you, you feel depressed or angry as a result of, uh, of what you hear. And so we're subject to, you know, this is the information age where there's so much discussion of who I really am and my rights, human rights, and, and uh, all kinds of strange identities that didn't exist 50 years ago and, and rights and privileges that we demand uh, personally. We have very, yesterday I spent a whole day talking about rights and about politics around the world and uh, how democracy is, a, is under threat and, and uh, all kinds of ominous discussions that you pick up in the news media and through worldly discussions and that leaves an impression on the mind. It's very negative and rather scary. Gloomy predictions of the end of democracy. For some people that might seem like a good thing and others are conditioned to be very pro-democracy. But what is the word democracy but another phenomenon is just a word that's created by human beings. It's not created by the gods or God or Buddha or anything. It's it's just a nice word that we've inherited in our vocabulary and we believe and we may not even know what it really means. It's part of a cultural conditioning. So this is observing how things affect you in the community, in monastic communities, 
then, the, then we subject to being criticized, being admired, being praised, being ignored, being misunderstood. All these are part of community life. When you're living with other people, you know, the demand that they respect you and understand you is, is you know, an understandable demand, but that's impossible. How can we really understand each other in the way that we want as a person? I want to be respected for my true nature, for what I am, but what is my true nature that I want, I expect you, or want you to respect? You know, so this is, you know, we have these demands, expectations, we become disillusioned, disappointed uh, in a lifetime, and all this is part of the world the sankara, the phenomena that we experience through the senses, through the brain, through the mind, through the body. And that's what life is about. It's about peace and war and peace, happiness and suffering, birth and death. But the amatapadang, the deathless path, the path to the deathless, Is that something I can realize personally? Can Ajahn Sumato realize the deathless as a person? I've been a monk for many decades now. And as long as I identify myself as a person, as long as I hold to this identity, I'm this body, I'm this personality, I am this Ajahn Sumato as my, what I cling to and believe in and expect, want you to respect and treat nicely with reverence and appreciation. The ego wants all that and then feeling threatened when being criticized, disparaged, Or can Ajahn Sumato realize the deathless as a person? And through investigating this position of Ajahn Sumato, through just observing that this, this title was given to me by somebody else, I didn't choose it. And I wasn't always Ajahn Sumato. And the words themselves come and go very quickly. I can't sustain, it's not like a mantra I want to keep thinking all the time or chanting Ajahn Sumedho all the time. But it comes and goes very quickly. And when it's gone, then there's no Ajahn Sumedho. It's just a convention an illusory phenomenon, a convention <clears throat> as part of this tradition, the Thai forest tradition. 
So when we talk about the deathless, the amatapadang, you know, words, they have the words amatapadang in Pali, the path to the deathless, the way to the deathless. What is that? And is Dhamma, this word, this Pali word, Pali Sanskrit word Dhamma that we use in this tradition, Pali Theravada tradition, is that, what is that anyway? You know, when we, as I've given many reflections on this word because like the, this morning we'd, uh, listen to the Padimoka recitation, giving the precepts to the Anagarikas about taking refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma Sangha. This is ceremony. These are all words. They're empty, phenomenal words. But we have our own interpretation. We say, would you define Dhamma for me? Hajan Sumedha, and I say, it's an absolute reality, ultimate truth. But these are more words, English words, trying to explain this uh, Pali word. So how can words ever get us anywhere but through, you know, dealing with the experiences we have in this form? We live in a society that is based on conventions, on beliefs, on traditions. And so the conditioning process is, you know, is something we acquire. It's, you're not born as an English person or a Thai or any other nationality or a black or white person. You don't, you know, a newborn infant doesn't see itself in terms of the color of its skin or its religious tradition. It's acquired knowledge that's given to you when you're uh, innocent. You don't even ask for it. You, you just get it from what you, in the conditions after birth, you acquire all kinds of names and titles, beliefs, and those acquisitions, they have a beginning and end. You know, this is the word, the Pali word sankara, or phenomena. Something that is created. So is consciousness created? You know, was, you didn't ask to be conscious. It's just the natural, uncreated reality that we experience the conditioned realm through these bodies, through these senses. So this way of reflecting is very, you know, is, is, is the kind of gift we have in this tradition. In this uh, particular style of Thai forest meditation, as we, as we received it from Lung Pha Cha in Thailand, 
the way of reflecting on the experiences that we're having with wisdom rather than with just belief, becoming Buddhists, identifying with our position, bhikkhus, siladars, anagarikas, anagarikas, lay people, and these are conventions that we give a lot of importance to and identify with. But just identifying with Buddhist conventions is still not the way to the deathless. You can become a good Buddhist, quote unquote, through belief, through clinging to Buddhist ideas, Buddhist teachings, Buddhist conventions, believing totally in Buddhism and, and that. But when you examine the suttas in the Tripitaka, such as the Four Noble Truths, the whole point of that teaching is to investigate, to find out what you really are. It's not asking you, Buddha didn't teach Buddhism. You know, his teaching is not about Buddhism, it's about Dhamma, pointing to ultimate reality, the reality of conscious awareness here and now is the gate to the deathless, the door where we begin to realize the, the freedom, ultimate freedom that comes through being fully aware of the conditioning that we're experiencing as impermanent and not self, it's not personal. So dying every moment is what the world is doing. You know, it's people change. You you can't help but be changeable in your emotional experiences through the senses. Just like a rainy, cold day is like this, and then in terms of personal response to cold, rainy, wet days is, I, I don't like them, I want the sunshine. So we, you know, because the cold, rainy day is, is an experience that we're having through the senses, and we form, you know, preferences. We don't like it, we want warm, sunny days. But whatever we, whatever reactions we have to the weather, that we're experiencing through this form, we're aware of it. Like not wanting cold, wet days is like this. So uh, it's not like asking us to always have, I like cold weather just the same as hot, sunny weather. It's not trying to prevaricate, lie to yourself and try to convince yourself that everything's equal and you're just content with the flow of life as a person is not pretending to be an arahant or an enlightened being. It's not about trying to act like one, but whatever character tendencies you have, whether they're wholesome or not, is not the point. It's being aware that whatever 
tendencies, the perceptions, beliefs, attachments that you've been conditioned by, you're aware of them as they arise, they cease. All conditions are impermanent, and Dhamma, ultimate reality, is not personal, is not self. So when you realize this, then death is nothing to dread. You know, it's kind of a relief. An old body is, is not a very, you know, happy place to be. And yesterday somebody wished me to live to 120, and so, you know, that's... I don't know whether that's a compliment or a curse, but, uh, you know, I think of it at 89, it's like this, and it's going to get more difficult. You can witness the, the fading out of the sankharas, of the senses, the aging process of a, of a human body is like this. But is this body really me? Is that my true nature? Is that what I've been a monk for all these years trying to convince myself that I'm perfectly, you know, that I'm this, this Buddhist monk? It's bhikkhu following, I'm a good Buddhist. Or maybe I think, well, I've wasted my life, I haven't, I haven't reached enlightenment. Or you might even convince yourself you're enlightened as a person. <clears throat> but as a person, nobody's enlightened. It's when you get beyond this this belief, you are this body, these, these senses, these memories, these thoughts, these emotions, that you realize your true nature is apparent here and now. Timeless, deathless. And that's anatta, not self. It's not personal, it's what, we all can realize through this uh, satisampajanya, through mindfulness, through wisely reflecting on experience and, and letting go of it, releasing your, your habitual grasping of perceptions and, and identities. It doesn't mean you get rid of them, doesn't mean you destroy anything. It's not a destructive practice, but a, pra a practice of contentment, relaxation, observing, and learning from experiences you personally experience life, your, your relationships in the Sangha like this, good or pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant, or unpleasant, it's like this. So freedom, ultimate freedom, enlightenment, 
the deathless reality is through this gate, through this door, the amatapadang, the deathless reality of here and now, through breaking down the illusions that we've been conditioned by, such as the ego, such as uh, social, conventional conditioning, such as the language that we think in, that we hold to and, and, cling, and cling to, uh, thinking, believing that we can solve the problems of the world through thoughts, through ideals. We can have meetings, endless meetings, to discuss our feelings. And we, we learn to, we want you to listen to me so I can discuss my feelings with you. And through, through that kind of uh, experience, we hope to find peace and contentment, or do we? Can we really find peace and contentment through endless discussions about peace and contentment and rights and personal feelings and, and reactions to experience? Or through the using wisdom to realize whatever we feel, experience is impermanent and not self. So it's, uh, it's very, you know, I really encourage you to do this because it is a available here, it's the whole point of Amravati, really, of this monastery, the branch monasteries, is to give this encouragement, not to, to recondition you into summoners, into becoming Buddhists. It's not about trying to, you know, con convert you to anything. We're not here to convert you to becoming Buddhists. Because is the Four Noble Truth about becoming a Buddhist or through understanding suffering, which is the, the common bond that we share with all creatures. This realm that we experience through this form is the, the experience of suffering. And so looking for permanent happiness through the form, you know, sometimes we are happy when everything is what we want. But it, you can't sustain that kind of happiness. It's easily damaged, easily destroyed. So what is it like to be deathless, to realize the deathless? And there's no word for it, your mind goes blank. 
the thinking mind can't, you know, you can words like, it's, it's peace, it's peaceful, not being anybody or anything at all. It's very peaceful. When you become somebody, then that's not so peaceful because you, you know, you have to perform, you have to please, you have to live in a society and conform to the laws and rules, regulations, precepts that, that we have been conditioned by. And that can be stressful. So we, we can feel guilty very easily, personally. If we said something stupid, we can feel guilty, embarrassed. Because personally, we, we want to sound intelligent and reasonable and uh, right. We can be, you know, in any religious danger of religion, generally speaking, is righteousness. Having to be right can be hold to the sense of I'm right. Just observe, be the witness to this belief in your own rightness, your righteousness. Is that a, is it comfortable to be righteous? Is it, do you feel happy and content? And, you know, through my own reflection, I didn't find being righteous a very peaceful mental state for me to cling to. Naturally, feels that, you know, I'm right and then somebody else says something else and there you're wrong, you're an enemy of Buddhism, you don't understand the Dhamma, I've got the right interpretation of the scriptures, and just by thinking those very thoughts and witnessing them, is those, are those thoughts, I'm right, is that a very comfortable state to, to cling to? Because then anyone who doesn't agree with you is wrong, is evil, is bad, her heretical. So in... Christianity, they oftentimes quote the Bible to, all the time to justify their, their right views. And we can do the same by quoting scriptures. And we might have right interpretations of Pali scriptures, but they're still interpretations, they're still sankharas, where through insight, through meditation through bhavana, we begin to realize this ultimate reality. Not, and realize it means we know this is what our true nature is. We're not bound by words, bound by traditions, bound by forms. So in this tradition, the monastic tradition, the Vinaya and the precepts and all that, they're conventions. 
And how do we use the convention? Why did the Buddha establish the Vinaya, Vinaya before he passed away? Why did he said there's the Dhamma and the, which is formless? Dhamma has no form, no quality. It's not red or blue. It's not about right and wrong, good or bad, heaven or hell. So when you try to figure out what Dhamma is, with words, you're stuck with the, the, the dualistic practices of thinking, which is always based on right and wrong, good and bad. We can't help it when we try to analyze and figure everything out with, no matter how intelligent and how well-educated one might be, we're stuck in a, in, a, in, a, in a helpless place with, with just trying to be logical or reasonable, sensible. And identifying with the idea that I'm very reasonable. I've studied all these great philosophers, the great teachings. And this, is, this can be you know, quite a, a nice gift in a worldly way, but it is not enlightenment. It's not knowing your true nature, it's believing in the power of words of right and wrong, good and bad. So when we get to the word Dhamma, is it right or wrong, good or bad? And according to Buddhists, is right and is good. So then we talk about Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrayana Buddhism. Are these all right? Or are some wrong? Or is, are some more right than others? Then we get, you know, we have a, we take positions, we try to be generous, they're all right and good. But we're still trapped in this extreme identity with goodness. Is Dhamma right or wrong, good or bad? And you let go of these words and there's silence which is neither good or bad, right or wrong. It's like this. Conscious awareness, the door to the deathless. So on worldly terms, we encourage generosity as a way to live in the world not be selfish, we call it dana, not to be selfish and, and mean-hearted, be generous, is a way to being happy in the world. But it's not permanent happiness, it's, it's, you know, it's momentary happiness that we get through generosity. Sila, the five precepts, 
that we encourage for lay people is a way of living a, 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 a good life in these forms as a man or a woman in any society to good be good is like this it's, and be generous you, you're much more prone to being happy and contented than when you're just selfish and, and corrupt so in terms of Donna Sila, these are very important teachings to give to people to, to kind of encourage them towards bhavana or meditation, establishing a foundation in this form, in the world that we have to live in, in the families, the societies that we're members of, to be generous, to be responsible for our action and speech, sila, then the encouragement of bhavana. Not many people are interested in meditation because uh, worldly conditioning is very wanting to attain power, prestige, to always get something, get more, be praised, being honored, being respected, getting wealthy, rich, having important social status, and on and on like that are worldly ambitions that make us not very generous as we, we think of ourselves. Even our generosity can be very based on acquiring more merit and and so we can feel more at ease about our way we make a living, the power that we have. So we can turn Donna and Sila into something that makes us more, can, can lead to uh, keep deluding ourselves till we practice meditation, bhavana, and start investigating experience and seeing for ourselves and realizing Dhamma is what you really are, the deathless reality uh, that we're experiencing or we're, we're not experiencing, we're the very being of here and now is the door to the deathless. So I offer this as a reflection.